0: Well, greetings, everybody. I want to give a special word of greeting to any high school students here. I don't know if you noticed, but our high school students have been uh, worshiping with us as, on a regular basis, and I want to especially welcome them. I love uh, teenagers and youth ministry and uh, youth culture. It was interesting traveling around the world this summer. I was able to observe youth culture in different places, and there's, uh, there are things that are just very different across the world. But Wherever you go, some things are exactly the same. Wherever you travel in the world, you will find boys playing Fortnite, the video game. <laughs> doesn't matter where you travel. I was in the United Arab Emirates at the Liwa Date Festival, when I don't even know what emirate I was in. All the way, I drove two hours through the desert to right near the Saudi Arabian border, and we're at this festival, and it's all uh, uh, kid, all these Emirati kids in their traditional dress, and they're just... And they're all speaking Arabic. This is what it sounded like to me. Fortnite. Headshot. Hype dance. They're just—that's the only thing I understood. They were that these are Fortnite players. Um, So, so, and then anywhere you travel in the world, you will find young girls making homemade slime. No joke. We're visiting my uh, my wife's cousin in Spain, and he said, "Hey." Uh, you guys are going to love it uh, when you come. My son, he's 15, he mostly just plays uh, Fortnite. But my daughter will teach your daughter how to make homemade slime. And we're thinking, ha ha, this is going to be a mutual lesson. Because girls around the world all know how to make slime because they're all watching the same YouTube videos of this thing. So I don't want to focus too much on Fortnite, but I want to think about slime. Although, <laughs> if, we think, if we think about both these things, they're very tactile very much using your hands to do that. So playing video games, you've got a, a teenage boy who's in you know peak physical condition, and all he's moving is his hands. You've got, um, and then the girls making slime. You know, it's it's the ingredients, it's the creating, and but it's very why is so popular? It's just so soothing to squish and to feel it in your fingers. So much so that young ch- children, young girls, are posting videos of making their slime and they're making money through internet advertising, but also videos of their slime just spreading out on a surface. And adults watch these videos and are soothed to watch slime spread out. I'm not joking. This is, and if you're not familiar with this, I don't know what cave you're living in. Because this is like <laughs> a year ago, even in 20, this time in 2017, there was a run on glue to make slime. So the big jugs of Elmer's glue, they, they, one after another, coming off the shelves of the store, you couldn't get a jug of glue anywhere. You had to travel multiple towns to find glue to make your homemade slime. And then, uh, and then the videos of people's slime, there's a phenomenon called ASMR. It's Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Adults watch videos of slime just spreading and it's somehow soothing and it gives a sensation... And, and this, is, this is a worldwide phenomenon. Look it up. <laughs> now, I have, uh, I'm in a line of work, my vocation. Is, I'm not somebody who works with my hands in my work, although I do a fair amount of typing or perhaps turning pages or gesturing to groups of people with my hands. But I don't have the type of work where you would say, I work with my hands. But I believe God has designed us to use our hands and use them well. And that's why on my time off, I I love to go fishing and I love to tinker on the cars. Because I love to work with my hands. And if we think about this in a broader sense of all of us using our hands, in a metaphorical sense, whatever you put your hand to is something that God cares about. So I want to think about our hands and all that we would put our hands to on any given day. And really, we're building off of a concept we introduced or highlighted a couple of weeks ago, of an idea of whole life worship, that whatever we put our hands to in life can be worship. That worship is not just relegated to church buildings and temples and churches. Uh, you know, prescribed offerings and rituals, but worship, as we understand it in Jesus Christ, is about our whole body. It's about all that we do. Romans 12, 1. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. I mean, this is a deep, much broader and deeper understanding of worship. And everything we do, everything we put our hand to, can be worship. And we have the obvious part of our worship, what we do here as we gather and as we sing uh, we have even everything we do here, including the announcements. This is all part of our worship together, uh, so that that might propel us to understand our everyday worship, our Monday worship, if you will, our scattered worship. So today, I want to flesh this idea out a little bit and consider Monday worship. Okay, so you you've kind of described what it could be. What does it look like? What does it feel like? And uh, that's what I want to that's what I want to do today. So let's. Let us pray at this time. Father, we want you. You are good. You're the creator of the universe, and we are just people, very broken people. And so it's very humbly we stand before you and ask you to teach us and to guide us by your word in this time. We believe, Lord, that you are worthy of worship. We believe that you've created us for good things, that we might use our life uh, to experience you glorify you, Lord. So to that end, we give ourselves to you now and pray that you be our teacher by the power of your Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. So before we get too specific about what is whole life worship actually look like, what are some examples? And I'll give you some examples. I want to turn first to God's Word, because God's Word needs to inform us of, of, of why we worship and how we worship. If we just say, look, Tomorrow you need to do whole life worship. You need to get out there and do everything as worship. It becomes a to-do list. It becomes one more thing that I need to achieve. And worship is not about us doing something to get God's attention or to get God to respond to us. Worship is our response to God and what he has done. So, to just go out and try really hard to worship would be like if you're not happy, just trying really hard to be happy. You know, just be happier. I'm trying to be happy, I just can't. By definition, if you just try really hard to worship, you're missing the whole point. It can be very frustrating. So we need to understand what is the... uh, three. I want to give you three things. Three aspects of whole life worship. The first is the flow of worship. Where is this flowing from? Secondly is the fuel of worship. What is fueling my worship? And then finally, the front line of worship. Where does it happen? What does it look like? So the first thing, the flow of worship. Worship flows from our identity in Christ. Look at verse 12. It says, therefore, this is the first verse on the back of your book. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love. In Jesus Christ, we have a new identity. You are a chosen person that God has chosen you out of the world. God has chosen you out of sin and brokenness to be his child, to be his people. And he has made us Holy, He has set us apart. He has purified us. We are special to God. And we are dearly loved people. How do we know that? Because of the gospel. The good news of Jesus. That God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. That's how loved you are. That Jesus Christ would come from heaven to earth to die in your place that you might be made a child of God, that you might be made holy and set apart for God. This new identity, if we operate from that identity, changes the way we behave towards one another. And that's, we see that in verses 12 through uh, 14. You know, as God's chosen people, holy, you're dearly loved, now you're going to clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What an amazing way of life that would be. And every day we could get up and just read this list and and think to clothe ourselves with the compassion, the kindness, the humility, the gentleness, the patience, the forgiveness. But again, we need to be careful. If we read this list as a personal to-do list of virtues, okay, here's my checklist of virtues I need to do, we're going to miss the point. These aren't uh, just virtues to check off a list, but they are virtues that flow from my identity as God's child. And it's it's changing me. And as I live this way in the world around me, it's going to change the world around me. If everybody around you every day lived out Compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness, that would be a new world. It would be a new humanity. But what is God doing? He 's ushering in a new world, a new humanity, His kingdom, which we will one day know in all of its fullness. and as we live this way now, we can understand and comprehend this kingdom which is coming and which will be known fully it 's an amazing way of life, amazing list of virtues and love as just the ultimate virtue, just binding them all together. So this is flowing from our identity as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. It changes how we live, how we behave towards one another. And so that's the, that is the flow. That's where it's flowing from, that identity. Now what is the fuel then, the second thing? What is the fuel of our worship, our motivation to worship? We see this in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The fuel of our worship is two things. The first is the peace of Christ. The peace of of, of Christ ruling in us. Ruling meaning the peace of Christ in charge of your life. If the peace of Christ is not in charge of your life, something else is ruling. Often for us, it's things like fear ruling our hearts, or shame ruling in our heart. Uh, Anxiety ruling, self-preservation, whatever is in charge of your heart. But here, because Christ is present with us by His Spirit, His peace that He brings us can rule And be in charge. And you will face things that can cause fear and anxiety. But those things don't rule. The peace of Christ rules in your heart. And that will fuel a life of worship. No matter how bad a situation. No matter how bleak it looks. The peace of Christ is ruling. The second part of the fuel is the word of Christ. This is the message of Christ. Dwelling in us richly. This is God's word. It's God's message to us. It's a story. God's message to the world is a story. It's a big overarching story. It's a great meta narrative of what it all means, how the world exists, and your place in it. That God created a world and it's good and perfect and it's for His glory, but sin enters the world and it is broken and it is in decay. But God is rescuing that world, calling people to Himself, choosing people from the world giving them new life, giving them a new purpose, and bringing in this kingdom. And we know, whatever we face, we fit into this grand narrative of what God is doing, this great story, this great message. So we have that, and we we cling to that great authority of God in all things. Without that, if we don't have a great overarching narrative for the world, all we have is our local narrative. All you have is your sort of moment in time, in the powers that be over you. That's why people freak out with when there's issues of authority in politics. And we've, we see it in our world. Most Certainly, we've seen it this week where people on both sides of the aisle are absolutely freaking out. Now, these things that, that happen in our world and our political systems are profoundly important, but they are not ultimate. We don't need to freak out because we know God's in charge. Whether we have leaders who are, are, are doing good and just, or if we have leaders that are corrupt and, uh, and unhelpful or hurtful, whatever it is, regardless of who's leading, we know that God is working His way in the world. We have that story. And as the Word of Christ dwells in us, we remember that. We remember that we have a place. We remember that God wants to use us in our, in our everyday lives. So we have his peace that's in charge. We have his message, his story that orients us to all things, and then we have the fuel that we need to worship. This peace that is ruling and the me- the, the story that's dwelling within us, it gets developed in us as we teach and as we admonish one another and as we sing to one another and sing together. Is this great? Verse 16, you know this message of Christ is dwelling as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing with gratitude in your hearts. We're all teachers. We all need to push one another towards remembering who we are in Christ. We are all singers. We all need to just sing the story of God and how he is rescuing the world. We're all teachers. We're all singers. Peace is in control. His word is dwelling in us. That is the fuel of worship. So, it's flowing from our identity. It's fueled by his peace and his story. And then, thirdly, the front line of our worship. Where is this worship working out? It's working out in everything that we do. Everything you put your hands to is where we worship. Look at verse 17. This is the ultimate front line of ministry right here. Whatever you do, whether in word, Or deed, You do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you put your hand to, all of it in the name of Jesus, all of it to the glory of the Father, this is whole life worship. Flowing from my identity in Christ, fueled by the peace of Christ and the word of Christ, lived out everywhere. So it works out in very practical ways in your everyday life, um, whatever, you, how you relate to other people, how you do your work, how you spend your money, all these things is where that worship is lived out. Now, what does it look like? And I just want to give you a few examples because it can be worked out in the simplest of ways. I'll give you a very simple example with Lorna's permission. Lorna is our property manager, she does a fantastic job managing the four properties of the church and all that's, and, and certainly this. Um, all that's been going on with the building and the gas and all these things. She does a fantastic job. Yesterday, we got a new roof on the portico of the church. You didn't even notice because it just happens. Everything just kind of happens magically in the background. It's because we have Lorna. And our front lawn of this church is gorgeous. Do you see it? It's always green, and it's always cut nice straight lines. Lorna, during the hot weather, waters the grass pretty much daily. And she's out there and she moves the sprinklers one place to another, and I'm noticing her doing this, it takes a bit of time, and I said, Lorna, what if we just get an irrigation system and then you wouldn't have to come out here every day and move the sprinkler all these times to get this grass to look so nice? It would really save you a lot of time. And Lorna said, well, when would I minister to the neighbors? You see. To to me, it's just the simple task of watering the grass. To her, it's an opportunity to worship and to love. To love neighbors, to hear their stories, to greet them in the name of Christ, to learn their names and to, to be a presence of Christ even in just watering the grass. Very simple task. That is whole life worship. But whole life worship may also be a very profound task. I've recently been in touch with a former student who was in our youth ministry when I was a youth pastor here at the church she is an ER nurse. So she's a nurse and she's been working in emergency rooms and she's decided that she wants to go back to school. She's going to get her PhD because in the course of working as a nurse, she's seen how decisions that are made further up in our healthcare systems by leaders and by people in authority impact all the way down to a nurse-patient relationship and how they interact and she feels like too few Christians are making these kind of big decisions and she wants to mold the culture of healthcare in our nation. And she wants her faith to drive everything that she does. She says this to me, quote, I want to contribute to systematic improvements at the highest level of health care with an empathy not found at these most elite levels of business and politics. That is a massive profound task but she believes that God has called her to it so as she goes to class and as she pursues this degree and, and seeks to fulfill this calling on her life that is whole life worship whole life worship may also just be small things over a long period of time another example again with permission I share this uh, there's a woman in our church and she has a coworker friend who her coworker they've been working together for probably twenty years, and her coworker is very sick and ill and dying, incurable cancer. And I've been asked to uh, to minister to this family and walk with them through her illness and her death and memorial and through this season of loss in this family. And I'm being asked to minister to them, not because I've been ministering to them, because, but because this woman has been ministering to them, this member of our church. And it's been little things over the last 20 years. A word of encouragement, a sharing. She's just been slowly just sharing Jesus with this coworker as opportunities have come up. There's been moments where prayer has been offered. There's been, and as this woman's faith was starting to come alive, there was resources. She said, hey, I've, I've got this devotional book. You might like it. And, and her co-worker starts reading the devotional book. So she's in God's word and she's hearing the message of Christ. And now the peace of Christ is fueling something in her. And, and then the coworker, as her faith is coming alive, calls her daughter and said, Hey, you need to start going to church. And the daughter gets connected with a good church and starts taking the granddaughter to church. Now there's three generations of faith in this family. The co-worker, the daughter, the granddaughter... Who are all have faith in Jesus Christ because of the day to day sharing of faith, being present with someone uh, over a long period of time. And now, as this woman heads towards her death, she's heading towards eternal life. She's heading towards uh, that place that Christ is preparing, especially for her, as he takes her home to be with him forever. And they celebrate that not because I sent, not because I went and did it, but because she, over those years, showed up to work, not just to work, but to be present however Christ was inviting. That's whole life worship. But you may also not have 20 years with someone. Uh, Another example of whole life worship, there was uh, someone in our church a week ago who notices that in her neighborhood there's all these Columbia gas trucks, but they're not Columbia gas of Massachusetts trucks, they're Columbia Gas of Virginia, and Columbia Gas of Ohio, and Columbia Gas of all these other places. And she realizes these workers are away from home. And they're away from home for a long time to try to help us get our uh, get our stuff restored. And they're not, if they're people of faith, they're not near their churches. So she goes out, and these guys are working in front of her house, and she says, um, Hey, would you, uh, if, if you are inclined to worship, would you come to um, my church, you, you're welcome, you're far from home, and maybe you'd like to worship with us. And, and again, if you're inviting Columbia Gas of Virginia, there might be more church-going gas workers than Columbia Gas of places where not as many people go to church. But nonetheless, these guys said, well, thank you, that's very kind of you, but we have to work today. It's Sunday, but we're working, 8 to 8, and we can't make it to your church. So she said, well, can I just pray for you? What's How can we pray for you? And just want you to know that we... We appreciate the work you're doing away from home to help us get restored. And we should all be praying that, by the way, because we don't have heat in this building. And, um, not just for us, but for them, that they would be blessed in their work. This is, again, we'll never see these people again. They're going to go, you know, hopefully they'll fix everything and go home. And, but just that brief interaction, that's whole life worship. Just being open to who's in front of you. And what is God doing? These are all examples of whole life worship. And that's what we are all called to. One problem. Kind of a major problem with this. Um, what if I hate my front line? What if I hate my job? What if I'm just in a bad place? How do I get up every day and do something that I don't like? I would say this. I'll give you an example. I do not love doing dishes. I don't. This is confession. Uh, but, and it's been extra hard to wash dishes because we don't have any hot water in the house, so you have to either wash it with the clammy cold water and it's smelly, or you have to heat the water up and, on the stove, which doesn't work, so on the camp stove, and then you wash the dishes with that water. It's just not fun. And I was at home at lunch, and there was a big pile of dishes, and I thought to myself, you know what? I hate this, but I'm just going to go for it. And because I have to do this, I'm going to wash these dishes. I'm just going to these are going to be the cleanest dishes you've ever seen in your life. And I just got going at it and I just got in the zone and I cleared the whole counter. They were all piled up and it was done. And I was just, it was just good to be done. Thursday, September 20th at 4.14 p.m. I got this text message from a family member who I didn't get permission to share this, but I'll, <laughs> she'll understand. 4.14 p.m. Quote, the kitchen counter looked like a work of art when I came home. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I pray that God is glorified as we just, the most mundane or just tedious things in life, that we do them for his glory. And at a certain point, you might just so excellently bring just greater purpose and meaning to even the worst tasks that God will show you that he is a greater. It's not a drag anymore. It's not a chore anymore because God is at work. That is, that's whole life worship. That's what we're called to. Let's pray together. And if you'd bow your heads in prayer, and I'm actually going to ask you to do something different. If, If it's not too weird for you with your head bowed, if you would open your eyes with your head bowed and look at your hands. And if you want, you can turn them over, look at them from every angle, and I just want you to see what you notice on your hands. Maybe your hands are very rough, or maybe your hands are smooth. Your hands might be warm or cold. They might have scars on your hands. Might remind you of things in your life. Maybe you're wearing jewelry on your hands. And there might be memories attached to, uh, to the jewelry you wear. And I want you to think of just a normal day. Just a normal, ordinary day. And think about all the things you do with your hands. So from the time you wake up and use your hand to turn off your alarm clock all the way to when you turn off the lamp at nighttime, and everything in between, just in your mind, just draw to mind, to mind the things that you use your hands for. And look at your hands. And just spend a moment in silence, just thanking God for those good things that you're remembering. Whether it's good work or, or material provision, uh, maybe it's you're reminded of a family member or spare time activities, whatever it is, just give God thanks for those things in silence. I want you to close, if it's not, again, if you want, if you would just close your hands into fists. Because we read here in this passage that whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we do in the name of Jesus. And we give thanks to God the Father through him. And I want you to, to think for a moment consider how we use our hands in ways that do not glorify God. Maybe there's things that are weighing you down with guilt. Maybe regret. Whether it's words that you've typed with your hands or grasping for things that are not yours. Indulging in, in desires that do not glorify God. Whatever it is, the God of mercy invites you to bring these things before him in confession. So just in silence you can confess those things to him. And I invite you if you want to open your hands. Open the fists open. And turn your hands upwards with your palms up as if you're receiving a gift. Because By Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, God forgives you your sin. When we confess it, he forgives us. And we receive that forgiveness and we receive freedom from guilt. Receive that. And with your hands open, you might consider, what might I offer back to God? Are there things in your daily life that you can do more purposefully for God? Can you imagine your, just your daily, everyday tasks, whatever you put your hands to, being offered to him as worship? And I pray for us. Father, Father God, you created us to do good works and to bring you glory. And I pray that you would take all that we are, our words, our deeds, all the work, our hands, everything we set our hands to, use them, As we live as people in your kingdom, may it be for your praise and honor. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.